What would you do if you were walking down the street one day, you saw an old lady waving at you? It's spooky. Trust, trust me on this one. You're like, I love old women. And then we travel to Russia to meet a 12-year-old girl who has a fantastic tale to tell us. She will tell us about the time the aliens robbed her city blind. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're gonna slide right in and just get it going. First off, let's give a shout out to one of our legacy Patreons coming into Dead Rabbit Command. Everyone get ready to give a round of applause for Rage Cat, one of our legacy Patreons. Rage Cat, thank you so much for supporting the show. Rage, you're gonna be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show really, really helps out a lot. Just let people know that Dead Rabbit Radio is a really cool podcast. You can you can be a little more eloquent when you say it, but just let people know how much you enjoy this show. Rage Kid, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're driving all the way out to Johnson City, Tennessee. Driving us out there, and guess what, guys? The year is 1989, and it's Christmas time. The snow's falling softly on the ground. People are buying presents, walking around. And then, with a perilous ear, we hear a shriek pierce the air. And that shriek is near. So we grab our huwetsits, our goobles, and nooks, and we run down the street. We run down the street to put out a fire. I couldn't think of anything else. So we're running down the street. It's December 24th, 1989. And we're headed to the Hotel John Seaver. It used to be a luxury hotel, but by 1989, it had been converted into a retirement home. How's that to retire in a former luxury hotel? I imagine it was still fancy. Like maybe they took down the chandeliers, but I don't imagine it was like overrun with cockroaches. And if it was, they would have been very polite cockroaches, little butler, little butler uniforms. December 24th, 1989, a horrible fire breaks out in the retirement home, and it's near the bottom. So it's like a hotel. You know, hotels go up. If you didn't know this, this is a little this is a little thing you'll learn on this episode. Hotels go up and motels go horizontal. So the hotels, multiple stories, there's a fire at the bottom. I know there's a bunch of people fact-checking that right now. I'm pretty sure I'm correct on that. But there's a fire going on. And the people at the top can't get out. But fire crews are showing up and camera crews show up as well. And they're filming this. This is Christmas Eve, 1989. And there's live footage coming from Johnson City, Tennessee of this building on fire. And you see people in the windows waving for help. And the firefighters are doing their best. (laughs) Spraying water everywhere. And then, like, they're using axes and they're chopping down doors. They're probably on those ladders getting people out of buildings. But remember, this is a retirement home. So we're not talking about the most spry of victims. You know, it's not like they can go out of the way, firefighters, wee! And they can, like, slide down the ladder. These people need assistance just to use the bathroom. So the I'm not saying everyone, I'm not saying everyone in a retirement home can't poop. But the fact is, is it's very difficult But on the other hand, you figure they probably weigh less because they're so old. And normally old people are, like, super skinny. But anyways, 
<laughs> look that up, Jamie. Look that up. See if old people are easier to carry. In the end, 16 people die in this fire. 16 people die. This, this really... <laughs> This okay, you guys are gonna. I, I'm having some real mixed emotions telling this story, and I'll get to it in a second. I didn't even think about this when I came up with this. It's kind of 16 people, 16 elderly people died in this fire, and to this day, the building is still there, the hotel is still there. To this day, you're walking down the street in Johnson City, Tennessee, you're walking by the John Seaver Center, you can look up. Well, you don't do that anyway. You don't, you're like, oh man, my neck hurts. I hope I can pass this building so I can finally look up. But if you look up at the fourth floor as you're passing this building, sometimes when you look up and you look up at the fourth floor, you'll see an old woman. Okay, this retirement home. If you went in, you'd see dozens of old people. But this one, you look up and you see this window and you see an old woman and she's waving at you. But she's waving in slow motion. And if, you, if this was a video podcast, those seconds of silence was me waving in front of the microphone. So, oh, damn it. So anyways, let me tell you, let me tell you a little bit about this story. I totally spaced on this whole thing. So let me finish the story. So that is creepy in and of itself. I think the idea of ghosts is creepy. Obviously, ghosts killed in tragic events are creepier than, say, a ghost who doesn't know that they're dead or a ghost who um, has a mission to finish, things like that. But when someone dies tragically and their ghost is stuck here, that's always extra tragic. That, that adds a layer of spookiness to it. And then the idea of her waving in slow motion... Makes me think of some sort of time distortion as well. It's like it'd be one thing if the ghost was like just waving at you, hi, and sits down and is reading a newspaper. But the fact that it's so tormented, it can't even wave at a regular speed. Does that make sense? Like if you were walking down the street, you're walking to your car late at night, and you see a little kid standing behind you, and he's walking like it's super slow motion. You're like, there's no way a kid, there's no way a kid can walk that slow. I've chased many kids in my life, and trust me, they are not that slow. And he's walking in a real slow motion. Or if you turn around, there's a kid walking normal. Like your brain automatically, you saw a kid walking behind you normal, you may think, what's he doing out so late? But if he was walking in slow motion, it's the same reason why I think like ghost kids in movies, they kind of have that herky-jerky thing. Because it's when you're not moving the way you expect someone to move, it makes it creepier. So the idea of this woman waving in slow motion makes that that alone makes it creepier. She was just waving and then disappeared in a puff of smoke. I'd still be scared. I don't know if I'd be scared. I'd go, oh, ghost, a ghost who's 40 feet above me. But if she was like, I could see the look on her face and her hands are slowly moving back and forth. It just adds to the torment. It makes it seem like it's she's trapped in some sort of time distortion, this pain universe. Horrible, horrible. And now I'm going to go into my next part, which I had not planned on doing, by the way. But I, I guess I should address it now. I want to tell you this story. No, oh, man, it's going to ruin everyone's day. Um, that story may have come off a little more jokey than I normally would. <laughs> Two stories where a bunch of elderly people die. While I was reading it, I remembered... I've actually never forgotten this fact. The reason why I was kind of laughing my way nervously through that story... Because I realized that it did hit a little too close to home. 
I had a friend named Jennifer Olson who died back in 1990 um, during Christmas time due to a fire. And she was a good friend of mine. We were, we were little kids at the time. But she died a hero. She actually saved her brothers and her sister and her grandpa, got them out of the house after it had caught on fire. I had always heard that a tr- it was the Christmas tree went up or some some electrical thing, but she gets them out of the house and then she went back in for the pets. She died of smoke inhalation, so Yeah. <laughs> normally normally I don't laugh. It's much more we're talking about a bunch of elderly people dying. Maybe 14 elderly people, but 16? No way. Normally, I don't laugh so much. But yeah, I was as I was reading that, I was like, uh... I guess I shouldn't... I guess I don't laugh at all at any of these stories. Usually, I'm better at that, whether or not I'm related to them. You know, the interesting thing about... You know, one, Jennifer Olsen has a park named after her in Alameda. That's where this happened at Alameda, California. Another interesting thing is I, I just one of those moments in my life. I remember I was not in town when this happened. I was in Sacramento. I was watching television. I was watching ALF or something like that. And my great-grandma McGee, she would always read the newspaper. And one day she's reading the newspaper and she goes, That poor, poor girl. Oh, that poor girl. But she died. She died in the fire, but she saved all those people. And I remember her saying this. She would always read the newspaper out loud, right? I remember her saying this. And I remember being so blasé about the whole thing that I didn't ask any details. A young girl dies in a fire, and I didn't ask anything about it. I just went back to watching my sitcom. And then two weeks later, when I came back home, my buddy Fernando Mendoza was like, Hey, are you going to the funeral? I was like, what? Superman? The death of Superman happened? Oh no! Um, I don't know. I don't even know why I'm still making it. was heartbreaking for me. It was heartbreaking for me. Jennifer Olsen was a really, really good friend of mine. And um, life wasn't super easy for her. We had some long conversations about things. But yeah. So, anyways, yeah, that's why that story was just a little. A little more. A little more giggly. It was nervous laughter. And. Yeah, I'm not a huge Christmas fan. If you can believe it, I'm not a huge fan of Christmas, considering one of my friends was literally killed by the holiday. But, Rage Cat, I'm going to go ahead and toss you... The, I have no other way to segue out of this. Rage Cat, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind Johnson City, Tennessee. We're headed all the way out to Russia. I also can't segue really good into this promo read, but this movie I actually can't wait to watch. It looks really cool. So here we go. The Underwater... Dude, listen to this description. Okay, listen to this description. The underwater horror film, The Deep House, is now available on digital and on demand. When a young couple sets out to explore a house at the bottom of a lake, they discover a sinister presence... Can they escape the underwater house of horrors before it's too late? Buy or rent the Deep House today to find out. Unrated from Paramount Pictures. I watched the trailer. It's a haunted house underwater. That is, that's awesome. And you know the filmmakers probably had a bunch of like scuba diving gear and they're like, uh, that's great. I'm a huge horror fan. I watch more horror than anything else. And when you can come up with something that excites me just from the premise an underwater haunted house. I already hate being an underwater, right? I can't wait to watch this. You guys can buy or rent it as well. I have to check it out. I'll probably watch it this weekend. The Deep House. 
looks really, really cool. Rage Cat, we are now headed to Russia. Specifically, we're headed to Vykovo. That's in the Yaroslav province in Russia. The year is 1932. It's not Christmas time, don't worry. I won't tell you any more depressing Christmas stories. It's in day. It's the daytime. And we're going to meet a young girl named Vera Alexandra Dronova. She's 12 years old, and she's sitting there. She's like world-weary. She's sitting on this rock. We walk up. We go, hey, Vera, what's up? And she's like, uh, look at these wrinkles in my face. Don't I look like I'm at least 65? And we're like, eh, I'm stressed. Look at me. I'm super stressed out. And she does seem a little on edge. We're like, Vera, why are, why are you so upset? And she goes, I'm going to tell you the craziest story. You're not going to believe me. She goes, maybe about a week or two ago, we're all just kind of doing our thing in the village. Some people are farming. Some people are milling, whatever that is. Some people are, like, grinding stones together. I don't know what they did in the 1930s. And then all of a sudden, this large flying ship begins to streak towards their village. It is coming so fast and so low it causes, this is fascinating to me, because we don't get a lot of these details from many UFO stories. It's coming so fast and so low, it causes the river to have a tidal wave in it. I didn't know that was possible. The boats that were going down the river, this ship is so low with so much force, the boats are thrown out of the river. And that, that is the best thing that happens to this village. The townspeople start to run out to where they think this thing is going to land. And they get to this nearby potato field. And while they're there, they watch this ship. She doesn't really describe the shape of it, but they see the ship and it begins to go. It starts to go. And dirt is spraying in every direction. It's drilling into the earth. And she says this UFO goes so low you can just kind of see the top of it. It's almost completely covered. And now it is nestled in the potato field. And people are like, well, I guess that was a good show. Like, no one's going to go near this thing, right? It already threw the boats everywhere. And now their potato crops are ruined. Shortly afterwards, shortly after the ship lands, the people in the town start to see little green men. But it was actually more, they were more grayish. <laughs> That's the fact that they were aliens, right? We're not going to quibble over what color they were, but it was like a greenish gray. And they were the size of children. They were tiny little guys. They had four fingers, no thumbs, no toes, which is interesting because that means they're not wearing shoes. I mean, I guess, I guess the fact that they landed in a UFO is more interesting than the fact that they weren't wearing shoes. But to see that they had no toes, I'm imagining that they were barefoot. How would you even balance like that? They have four fingers, no toes, and they're wearing these tight little silver outfits. And they're walking around town. And they're followed by a man. Like an adult, human-sized man who was the same skin color. It was the greenish-gray. But he didn't act so weird. And as the town people were talking about this, they didn't really have a word for what they thought the children were. But they 
The modern term would be bio-robots. The, the olden term would probably just be a bunch of tiny weirdos. But they could tell there was a difference between the tall man and these little guys who are just kind of bumbling around the scene. In fact, the tall man talked to the locals. And again, a first, I can't think of another time we've encountered this in UFO lore, he starts cracking jokes. Now, unfortunately, she hasn't written down what the jokes were. He's like, oh, how many parsecs does it take to feed a space chicken or something like that? Or they could have been really good, right? They could have been local jokes. They could have been making fun of the villager people. Look at that little girl over there. She's ugly. People are like, what? That's horrible, alien. Why'd you say that? Because she is. This tall alien, too, might have been a little bit of a Lothario. Because Vera says, yeah, <laughs> in her narrative, this guy, he shows up, he's tall. I don't know if he's handsome. He's greenish-gray. I don't know how handsome you can be with that skin color. And he's cracking jokes. He's doing finger guns, which an alien, like an alien power. Everyone's getting evaporated. He's walking around. He's the cool guy. And Vera goes, yeah, and he also stayed at my aunt's house. <laughs> he didn't stay in the UFO. He didn't stay with the little green guys. He slept at my aunt's house. And she just kind of leaves it at that. That aunt, that aunt was getting banged by this tall alien. Because there's no way he wasn't partaking in earthly culture. Let's put it that way, right? And if you were chilling at your place and some aliens showed up and they were attractive, right? <laughs> no one likes thumbs. Blech. Those are gross. No toes, right? Oh, she didn't have a foot fetish. You'd bang that alien. I'm not saying you'd bang this dude, but if it was someone you were attracted to, you're like, yes, Jason. If you were saying, yes, I would have sex with someone I'm attracted to, you would. Alien or not. And he's telling jokes. They might be super hilarious jokes. Over time, because this, this is not a one-night event, people start to refer to the little ones as the medics. And what they would do is they'd walk around with these big cylinders on their back that would have tubes coming out of it. They'd walk to and fro into people's houses in the middle of the night, mind you, while people were sleeping. And then leave, looking for another house to enter. And the tall man explained, oh, oh yeah, no, they are, uh, how do you humans put it, <laughs> invading your personal space and taking samples of your tissue and blood while you're sleeping. They're measuring something. So don't mind them. If you wake up, if you wake up with a little less blood, ah, don't worry about it. They would also see these little men walk around and they were doing the same thing to the livestock putting the tubes in them, extracting tissue samples, blood, and then just kind of going chasing, chasing chickens around, which would be hilarious to watch aliens chase a chicken. Oddly enough, not only were they doing this to our livestock, they brought their own menagerie of animals. Vera said that every so often, they'd see a new dog coming down. It's not like they usually have pit bulls. This is a Rottweiler. These were alien dogs. She said they looked just like regular dogs, but their head was on top like a human's head. And I, I'm trying to picture that. Don't dogs have necks? But I guess that you're like, yes, Jason, dogs do have necks. But does a dog neck go out straight and a human neck go straight? I can't picture that. My mind's boggled. I don't understand. The exact sentence was like dogs, but their heads were located straight up like those of a man. So maybe it was just, maybe it was just 
dogs that needed some chiropractic work. But they'd see that. And the other animal they would not see are the monkeys, the space monkeys. What would happen is people would wake up. First up, they wake up, they have less skin and less blood than they had the day before. But then they would be like, oh man, I really need to eat. I really need to eat to replenish my bodily fluids. They'd go to get the eggs out of the fridge, or it's 1932. They went to go get the eggs out of the chicken, and the eggs would be gone. Chickens would be gone. Milk, gone. The whole pantry, nothing's in it. But poop. They slammed the pantry door shut. They're like, you monkeys! What they were finding all over town was monkey poop. We're in Russia. We're in Russia, by the way. Again, there's no monkeys native to Russia. They're finding monkey poop everywhere. They said that you would catch a glimpse of the monkey running away with a chicken under one arm and a carton of milk under the other. Maybe once every so often, but you would find his poop Everywhere. There was so much monkey poop, it actually started to affect the local economy. It's not like they could start burning the dung. That's probably what I would have done. They couldn't feed their livestock. There was so much monkey poop. The monkeys would poop everywhere. And then they were, for whatever reason, they came all the way from Alpha Centauri. They've learned to love hay. So we were trying to feed the hay to the cows and the horses. And the cows are like, and they'd like walk away and they'd be like, I'd rather starve over here. There was poop stuffed into the hay. It was full of excrement. So now the farmers are like, I have no chickens because these monsters ate the chickens. I have no eggs because I have no chickens. I need milk. I can't even feed my livestock because they're, they're polluting the environment. They're poop polluting the environment. I just want to be clear. I do not write these jokes in advance. I do not write these jokes in advance. I did not spend a week working on that. You'd walk into your house. You'd probably slip on some monkey poop. <laughs> then as your unconscious guys are sucking blood out of your body. It was a horrible thing to be in. And then, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. You have no milk. You have no eggs. You have no cows. They're slowly starving to death. There's monkey poop everywhere. There's dogs that you can't comprehend where their heads are. You're waking up with less blood. This guy is most likely banging this ant. All the potatoes in town disappear. All of them. I mean, these guys have nothing to eat at this point. Every single potato disappears. Cheese and grain. What little they had left is being stolen straight from the industrial buildings that is making the cheese and the grain. And Vera tells a story. She goes, one day I'm sitting there, sitting by a silo. I don't know why she's sitting by the silo. Maybe it was the most boring day. How could it be boring, actually? There's space monkeys running around. But anyways, she's sitting by this silo, and she says, I watch a elephant with no trunk start walking through the village. And I'm walking alongside it were these little men, these medics, and they each have their little hoses, and the elephant, or elephant-like creature, has these giant containers on its back. And she goes, and I watch these little dudes and this elephant-like creature walk up to the silo full of grain, full of food for us. They attach these tubes to the granary, and then all the grain got sucked up into the elephant's 
tanks. And then they just turn around and walk. And when they go into the silo, when the humans check the silo, there's no food whatsoever. So the local economy completely collapses. You have no way to feed yourself. You have no way to sell anything. You can't really have a tourist destination. You can't be like, come see the space monkeys. Because you can't see them. You only see the poop. They can't stop it either. These guys... And it's funny because she says we can't stop it. But I wonder what they actively did against him, right? You would you would assume right there that this guy's from another planet. Just his ship landing would be such a show of power. You wouldn't need to see a space gun. He moved the water. Like, the ship came down and was throwing boats everywhere. So people start leaving. That's the path of least resistance, right? It's 1932 Russia. I'm sure there's not a famine somewhere else in the country. I'm sure everything will be fine. You can go all throughout this communist paradise. So these people start leaving the city. And then this is where the story takes... This is such an interesting fact. All of that stuff is a great UFO alien story. But then we get this final tidbit here. Eventually, the Soviet Union gets wind of what has happened in this town. So they send some investigators out. They get investigated by the Soviet Union. What happens is the investigators get there. There's no aliens. All they see is a town that is so poorly run. It has no food. It has no goods that it can trade with. Half the population has disappeared into other towns. So the local officials are charged with sabotage and arrested. And most likely died in some gulag somewhere. That is the story that Vera tells us. That story came from the Yaroslav UFO group. I got it from ThinkAboutAdocs.com, but they got it from the Yaroslav UFO group. Fascinating story on the two levels. One, just the idea of aliens coming down and just taking what they want. Taking what they want. We did an episode recently about the aliens that just came down and pointed at people and then they disappeared. That was a, a chilling one. This one's a little more a little more lighthearted. They're just destroying an economy. But what could you really do? Like I could walk into a bunch like where a bunch of beavers hang out and just start taking logs off their dam and be like, thanks. I'm gonna go burn these in my fireplace. Like, sure, they can probably like hit me with their tails or Maybe, maybe do some sort of over-the-hedge or furry vengeance thing and build a trap and have a skunk fart in my face. Yeah, but I mean, really, what are you going to do? Bite me? I'm sure they could probably injure me with a couple of bites to the Achilles tendon. But at the end of the day, like, I'll just be kicking them, kicking the beavers into the water and then watching them swim away. That's what aliens would do, right? We have these Independence Day, these ideas of doo-doo-doo, shooting aliens and stuff like that, but... Robotech fighting off this Entrati menace. But remember the thing about Robotech. You're like, Jason, I don't remember anything about Robotech. Robotech, the only reason why the humans were able to fight this Entrati was because a alien spaceship crashed on Earth first. So we had all their technology. We knew they were coming and we could retrofit it. Or what do they call it? Reverse engineer it to build the Veritech fighters. And then this Entrati showed up and Min May tried taking Rick Hunter's heart. But we all know he belonged with Lisa Hayes. The point is, is that had this Entrati... Uh, forget the Robotech example. I think you guys got it. If the, if an alien just came down and we didn't know they were coming down, they would walk all over us. They wouldn't have to use space lasers. They could just show... And we may have some sort of resistance against them. But at a certain point, they go, how many times do we have to do finger guns and evaporate your stuff before you just let us take your potatoes? 
All we want is your delicious potatoes. And the other reason why I really love this story, and we'll finish it up like this, is there is a chance that this was all a fraud. Now, I'm not saying the Yaroslav UFO group made it up or that Vera made it up. I'm talking about back in 1932, it would have been really easy to have a couple people dressed up as elves and walk into a town and be like, hey, everyone, we're from the elf dimension. You know that elf dimension that you guys heard about in all those old legends? Don't make me give you the evil eye, guys. I'm taking all your potatoes. And you might think that's far-fetched, but we actually covered something like that far more recent. It was like in the 1990s, 1980s, in my, still to this day, my favorite episode of Dead Rabbit Radio, The Vampire Sex Cult of Yerba Buena. Three people just showed up in this Mexican village and said, oh, we're ancient Mayan deities. Worship us. And people are like, okay. And they robbed the town blind. I love that. That is still, to the this day, if you could take any episode and turn it into a movie, it would be that episode. I'll put it in the show notes. It's still my favorite episode. It's like episode 151 or something like that. But you, the, you, you could easily commit fraud. I mean, okay, wouldn't it be super easy to cut the trunk off an elephant, but or, or rearrange a dog's head? But you could show up to some small podunk town and be like, "Hey, we're from the future," and get people to go along with it and rob them blind. And I find that so fascinating. When I read this story, that was kind of what was going in the back of my head. I go, "It'd actually be." pretty easy to pull this stunt off and over time some of the details may have been maybe they weren't child size maybe they were just shorter than than the normal russian of the time but you could pull this scam off and we have people run these scams today they now they just say they're reincarnated from atlantis watch my show on this gaia channel i mean it's the same scam right um it's the same scam well, I guess one guy's just telling you to give him money and to support his show and buy his merch, and the other guy is eating your chickens. But the point is, is someone is using the belief of the paranormal to manipulate somebody else. And I just find that fascinating. And really, when we look at it, what's more likely? The fact that a bunch of humans got together and came up with this perfect plot, this Ocean's Eleven, but involving eating chickens and potatoes, or an intergalactic alien ship coming to earth i mean just on the fat on the face of the matter one is more likely than the other however i still can't figure out how a bunch of scoundrels and scam artists could cause a tidal wave in a river and knock boats out but i do find even that earthly explanation very very fascinating so was it invaders from beyond the stars looking for a little bit of human blood with potatoes on the side Or was it humans manipulating other humans using their fear of the unknown to their advantage? And if it was the second one, if it was the humans doing that, where, I just realized this, where did all the poop come from? Was that really human poop? Some mysteries are best left unanswered. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.